When you think country music in Australia, the first person who comes to mind is probably that guy married to Nicole Kidman, but he wasn't the first. He was beaten to the States by a then teenage girl who arrived here in the 1980s with her parents, but her first job wasn't singing or writing. It was as a character on an iconic 1980s TV show. This is Write You a Song. If you remember the facts of life, think back to the final season and a character named Pippa McKenna. Hello, Pippa. Is this your mom? No, Ashley. This is Blair Warner, the new owner. Blair, this is Ashley Payne. Pippa was played by Cherie Austin, who would do a little more acting and performing in a duo called Color House in Southern California before moving to Nashville in the 1990s. In 1997, she signed a recording deal and got some airplay on country radio, including a sad but beautiful ballad called Streets of Heaven that in 2003 became her biggest hit. But her first love, more than acting, more than singing, was writing, which she continued to do even as she left Nashville for a time in 2005 to sing on the stage in New York City. Returning to Nashville in 2011, she released another album, Album, Circus Girl, which displayed her full talent as a singer-songwriter. But as Austin will explain, she was drawn way more towards writing than performing and since then has become one of country music's most respected and sought-after writers. So sit back and enjoy this visit with country music's other talented Aussie, Cherie Austin, who says that despite her natural-born abilities of writing, singing, and acting, her family was not the showbiz type. Well, no, I come from a blue-collar family, so I was the first, kind of the black sheep of the family that ever decided to go into this and make a living from it. But I always, you know, pretty much came out of the womb singing, and I was in school plays and, you know, you name it, anything creative. I was writing poems and you know, eventually learned that I was a songwriter, um, and I was acting, singing, and dancing. So I was, I did it. I just did everything, you know, it was always, I knew in my heart that I was going to be an entertainer. And at this point in my life, I now wear a few more hats that I didn't wear back then, but it's all come in handy doing all of those different things. How did your, or your parents handle that? If they were blue collar and you, you say yourself, you're kind of a, a black sheep, obviously it wasn't something that was on their radar. Oh, our kid wants to go to America, but that had to be a, like a real world shift for them. Well, my parents, were married young, um, 18 and 21, and had me exactly nine months later. Oh. They grew up in the 60s, and they had a very gypsy, hippie mentality. We moved around a lot, even when we lived in Australia. Mm. So my parents have always had a very adventurous spirit. They still do. They're in their 70s, and they will literally throw a map, a, a dart at a map after a bottle of wine and go, okay, that's where we're going. <laughs> and, I, I love mean, that. Yeah, my parents are great. Everyone in town loves my parents, wants to hang out with them. Will and I, my husband and I, take them on every vacation we go on because they're just the most fun you can have. God. And uh, so even though they weren't in the entertainment business, they just saw this is another adventure. And I had told my parents, uh, when I was five years old, that we were going to live in America. And the whole family followed me over, mom, dad, brother, and sister. And we have had many, many adventures since we landed um, here in, what was it, 1987. So 
We've been here a long time. Were your parents, were, were they into country music? I know that when you were 14, you opened for Johnny Cash, I think, in Australia. But were they country fans? Were you exposed to that genre of music down there? Yeah, mum's a little bit country, dad's a little bit rock and roll. So mum would be listening to country music and dad was blasting dire straits up and down the street and driving the neighbours crazy. So <laughs> I got a lot of influences growing up. But Australia also has a lot of different types of music and it's all kind of meshed together, um, which is the state. It's becoming more like that where the genres are blending. But in Australia, they, we had that growing up. So you could hear country music, you could hear pop music on all the radio stations. So I grew up with, you know, Johnny Cash and, um, and then, of course, you know, the Bee Gees, you know, to, from far left to far right, um, all different styles of music. Um, bands like Bread, that's why I wanted to be a songwriter. I love David Gates. He was one of my earliest influences. Dreams there for those who sleep. And life, it's for us to if you're wondering what this all is leading to, I want to make it with you. I really think that we can make it, girl. I was going to ask, what artist attracted you because of their songwriting, primarily? And you said David Gates and Bread, which... For those who don't yeah, know, no, was a, a super popular kind of, um, they were a makeout group, <laughs> I think, mm -hmm. for yeah. a, a, a certain generation. Uh, but great songs, great pop songs, soft great rock songs. pop songs. When I was like nine years old, I think that was um, a birthday present for me was their record. And um, I love the lyrics and just the way the melodies made me feel. They just they pushed and pulled you at the same time. There was nostalgia in it. And there was pain, but there was joy. It's the same thing with the Bee Gees, who I think are the best songwriters around as mm -hmm. well. Just the songwriting, the way they put the words together, the prosody of the music, just the vibe, you know. Um, and when I used to get those albums where you could read all the liner notes on the back, that's when I started noticing, oh, they don't just sing. They are writing these songs. And that's when, it, you know, the seed was planted in my brain that I wanted to do both. And still to this day, though I didn't know it then, songwriting is my first love of everything that I do. And I read that when you went to Nashville, you went to be a songwriter first. You had a, mm -hmm. a, a career as a performer, but you wanted to mm -hmm. go first and foremost as a songwriter. So songwriting really is your first love over, it sounds like, everything else. Yeah. It's seen me through a lot of hard times. It's enabled me to have a career in the entertainment business during the ups and the down years. It's, nobody cares how old you are. Nobody cares what you look like. They just, you know, songwriting allows you to reveal your soul. And so it, it grows with you as you grow older. And it's the one thing that never judges you and lets you be. And in fact, the older you get, the better you become at writing because you have more, you've lived more life. You have more to say. So it never, it never changes. And I think that's what I love about it. I mean, it changes, you change, but songwriting, you know, it never changes. Why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that expressive urge is there or need? It sounds like it's been there from the very beginning, but have you ever like thought about, 
Why? Where does that come from? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, it was it was there. I think from my first breath. I mean, I always the first. I remember in school when they we were learning how to to read and write, and they taught us. You know, had we went from a pencil to a pen, and we went from you know printing to writing cursive. I was always the one in the class that won the award first. It was like it was just always there with me. <laughs> I learned to read before everybody else. I learned to write before everybody else. So it's just a part of who I am. It's like breathing. And if songs been for you when you first got to Nashville, you have to write to the machine basically um did you have to make any adjustments when when you got there were there any kind of revelations about how that business works or did you just keep doing what you were doing and and you know forget about the machine i had to learn how to do both and then i had to be aware of it as an artist you know trying to be true to myself and trying to be true to a format but then i had a whole other shift in regards to that when i kind of stepped back from being an artist and I became more of a songwriter writing songs for other people. Like I've had songs cut by Blake Shelton and George Strait and Tim McGraw. And when I first came to town, it was all about writing female songs for me. And I had to learn if I was going to stay in this business, survive in this business that men sell a lot of records. Men still get played more than women. And I had better learn how to write melodies for, for guys. And so I put myself in a room with the best writers in town that were doing those very, that very thing. And that's how I learned. And um, it was trial and error. But now I feel just as comfortable sitting in a room with a male artist as a female artist and figuring out what it is that they want to say and knowing where to go with those melodies and where to go lyrically. So I've had quite a few evolutions as a songwriter, um, learning how to write what I want to say, but also feed the beast, as you, as they say, the commercial beast. When you went to Nashville as a songwriter, at what point did were you approached to become an artist, or did, did that, was that something you wanted to do? Did you like doing it? I think it happened very quickly for me. When In my earlier life, I had some strange ability <laughs> to get things very quickly that I don't think I was always necessarily ready for. Um, that's why sometimes it's, it's sad to me that people are considered, you know, old once they're 30. You just start to get interesting and you, you just start to learn about life and then all of a sudden you're commercially not viable anymore. I learned a lot. I loved it at the time, but I knew I was just as happy behind the camera as I was in front of it. So, And I'm, so, I'm grateful for that time. Um, because I, I learned so much from it that I now use with my artists. You did have a, a song, and I think it was 2011, and I think it reached the, the top 20, and it's an achingly beautiful song. Um, where did that song come from? Yeah, that was um, probably my most successful song. It was the top 10 record, Streets of Heaven, and um, it was loosely based on a family experience when my little brother was sick. Um, so I be- it was partly based on that and just partly based on metaphorically speaking it was about letting go and I was at a point in my life where I was having to let it go let it go of a lot of stuff and I was some things were changing in my career um so it's a metaphor slash real life and it was one of those truly spiritual songs that did write itself 
I was out in LA at the time. Um, I wrote that song with Paul Duncan and Al Kasher, who Al Kasher had two Oscars. He he wrote the music to Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno. Mm. Um, yeah, and so he was an elderly gent at the time, and Paul was an up-and-coming writer, and it was the first time we'd ever written together. And um, that song pretty much wrote itself. It just kind of came through me. I know writers all have had that experience on certain days. It doesn't happen all the time where you really do feel like you're channeling something, and that was definitely one of those. Hello, God. It's me again. 2 a.m. room 304. Visiting hours are over. Time for our bedside tug of war. The sleeping child between us may not make it through the night. I'm fighting back. Tears as she fights for a life. Well, it must be kind of crowded on the streets of heaven. So tell me, what do you need her for? Don't you know one day she'll be your little girl? Who will hold her hand when she crosses the streets of heaven? Tell me, God, do you remember the wishes that she made? She blew out the candles on her last birthday cake. You write, I think, more from... I mean, because you have to write commercially. I've talked with enough songwriters that I understand that. You've got to hit that bullseye. And yet your writing does seem to be more, I don't know, artistic. I mean, is that an accurate assessment? And is it a challenge to write something that's got a little bit of depth, a little bit of heft, and yet at the same time still be commercially acceptable? You know, these days it's a little different for me because I'm not necessarily um up and down music row anymore i started my own company and so we we sign artists that we believe in and i guess subconsciously you attract to yourself the kind of artists that are similar in a lot of ways and so when we sit down to write it's just a natural it's just we try to get inside the artist's dna and what they want to say and um i've learned how to you know to write boy songs girl songs up-tempo songs, sad songs. Um, I see being a writer uh, is about writing what's in the room, you know, as opposed to trying to write what I think. I think a lot of that stuff about trying to keep something commercial or mainstream has now become like muscle memory to me that I don't have to sit there and go, okay, I have to figure out how to make this commercial. Mm -hmm. I've just been doing it so long. But now, to me, it's just all about the idea. If the idea is great, that's what Nashville runs on. The, the idea must be great. So I've learned to wait for those, you know, moments to come in. I write every day, and I always say to our kids that we work with, you know, you won't write a hit every day, but if you write every day, you will write a hit. So it's all about turning up 
to me, a lot writing is about discipline. There was a great quote, I can't remember who it's by, but I only write when I'm inspired. And it turns out that I get inspired every day at 10 a.m. And basically the point <laughs> of that quote, you just have to turn up. And I remember when I was in my 20s, it was like, oh, my God, it just, I don't feel the muse. I'm not feeling it today. I'll just wait till I feel it. And now I have learned how to turn it on every day at, you know, 11, 1130 a.m. is when we start writing, write for about three hours. And every now and then magic happens. But you've got to turn up. And when you turn up, funny thing is the muse, you know, she just, she will walk into the room and she'll let you know what you meant to write that day. And that's kind of how I look at it in a lot of ways. You do the work and then um, inspiration will turn up and meet you in the middle. What you're saying is is something that so many other writers have said. And is that something that younger writers, because it sounds like you bring in a lot of younger writers and work with, do they get that? Do they come in understanding that? Our, our writers do because um, I drum it into their heads. Uh, I'm all, all about work ethic. If you're not going to do the work, if you're not in it for the art and you're just in it for you know, making money, first of all, you never will that way. You might get famous on TikTok for 15 seconds and then it's gone. If you want to be a true artist, you have to turn up and do the work. It's like an athlete. And um, I see myself as a coach in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, I I won't work with anyone who just won't put the effort in because, I mean, what's the point, you know? Um, so we have a really good group of kids that get that. They've learned that when you turn up, you got to work. And it's funny when they go and do some writing appointments with other people, they're like, um, it's kind of weird when I write with you and I write with Will, we get a song done in three to four hours. But when I write with these people, we just sit around and talk and then everybody wants to go to lunch after the title. And I remember those days because <laughs> a lot of that writers are naturally lazy and procrastinators. We just are. There's days you don't feel like it. Like, to be honest with you, we wrote a song today and I was like, I do not know how to rhyme cat with Matt today. That's just the mood that I was in. I just didn't feel it. As soon as we sit down, open that computer, pick up the guitar, it all goes away. Because it's just resistance. There's just this, there's always this little thing on your shoulder in your ear going, oh, you don't need to do it today. Or, oh, you're not very good. Or, gosh, do you really feel like you need to write a song? Why don't you just go have a drink and have a margarita? It's summer. But no, I just sit down and I'm like, from this time to this time, this is where I'm putting my energy. So I think I've just learned from doing it for so long um, that it just takes so much discipline. So, yeah, do my kids come in like that? No, but they sure as hell leave knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> do they come in uh, with, with different influences? You know, I, I would imagine young songwriters today aren't coming in, you know, with, with – Waylon and Johnny Cash is their main influence is Dolly Parton. They're probably bringing in influences from all sorts of different genres. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many of them do uh, are influenced by Johnny Cash and Dolly Parton these oh. days and Waylon. Back to that music as being the great music. I'm really surprised how educated a lot of these kids are. But you're right. They are getting influenced by all forms of music, which I personally love because I'm not just a country girl. I love pop music. I love melodies. So I love mixing genres and coming up with something new. Um, but, yeah, that we've got one girl we work with who absolutely loves bluegrass. She's 17 years old. She lives for bluegrass. She looks like Taylor Swift, but she has no interest in being Taylor Swift. It's, it's all about the musicians, all about bluegrass. And we have another artist that's more Americana and mixed with a little bit of rock. 
And then we have our mainstream artists that want to get on country radio. Um, so they're all different, and that's what makes it so interesting. I get to be all of these artists instead of just Sheree Austin. <laughs> you mentioned Taylor Swift, and, you know, she's the biggest thing on the planet. Talk a little bit about her influence. And at her essence, she is an unbelievable songwriter, in my opinion. She is one of the all-time greats. Talk a little bit about just her and, and, and how she has kind of shifted the, the landscape a little bit. Well, to me, Taylor Swift is a goddess. I mean, I remember when she first came out talking to a, a label guy who said she's going to be gone in a year. And I said, nope, this girl is going to be a legend. She's going to be up there with Dolly Parton. I just, I could see it in her. It was not just her ability to write a song, but her marketing brain, her branding brain, just how she has handled herself and this business. It's uncanny how the stuff that she just knew instinctively at such a young age. Um, it's so funny. I was reading something today how Taylor Swift has helped us not go into a recession. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. <laughs> I know. I think she just can't do anything else. I wouldn't be surprised if she ended up president one day. I mean, nothing would surprise me. She is um, something I don't think we're going to see ag again in a very long time. God put all his eggs in her basket. And she's such a great influence for women. Um, you know, her success, how she's handled it, how she's handled drama in her life, you know, those lawsuits. She's just, um, she's amazing. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I, this is a songwriting podcast. We're supposed to talk about songwriting, but at the mm -hmm. same, you, you just mentioned, you know, her, her marketing instincts, th those are as acute as her songwriting abilities. And as soon as you said that, I thought to another artist whose marketing instincts were, otherworldly and that's garth brooks and i think yeah. she he's probably the only one that she her phenomenon can be really accurately compared to at least over the last 30 years and is it important now for young people getting into the business either on the songwriting side or the artist side to understand that part of it or is it still okay to let other people handle that i think that it's about um a few things. I think working, finding a team of people, I don't think anyone can really do it on their own. I think Taylor Swift is leading the charge, but she's got a team around her of everybody, very skilled people. She knows who she's hiring to make her dreams come true. She might be the boss, but she's got a whole village there making that happen. So I think it is important to, yes, educate yourself on this business. I heard someone say, so, it, so it's a jobby, not a hobby. You want to make a living from this? You have to look at it like anything, like going to law school or being a doctor and going to medical school. You should learn everything about your trade and then find, surround yourself with, with people who have a skill set that you don't that can add to, you know, building your dream. All right. I want to ask one more kind of specific question about songwriting. This podcast is going to drop in, you know, late 2023. So if you're listening to it four years later, this might sound a little dated, but, you know, there's pretty big controversy right now with a, a song from Jason Aldean. Try that in a small town. Jason, obviously a superstar. Um, the lyrics of that song have come under fire. The video, I think, has probably come under more fire than the lyrics, but the lyrics at the same time paint a certain picture. As a songwriter, you you watch this. What what are your thoughts? What are And I'm not asking you to take a side on, on the song, but just yeah. as a songwriter, seeing a song blow up like this... Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, seems to be the same 
with everything these days. It's, it's everything is divisive. Right. You know? Yeah. Up here, on one hand, and then it blows up in a bad way on the other hand. Um, yeah, I mean, I know the guys that wrote that song. They're all great guys. I don't know what muse was in the room with them that day or what they were discussing, but whatever it was, it felt real to them. It felt true to them. Maybe what is on the paper is not what they thought was on the, the paper that's coming across. But, yeah, I think the video um, probably blew things out of, you know, proportion. I mean, for me, I grew up in small towns too, so... I mean, for me personally, I, I would write more about, hey, the side of a you know, small town where it's, let's go, you know, let me buy you a drink at the bar and talk about this rather than, you know, shoving a boot in your ass. But that's my <laughs> perspective of the world, you know. I mean, that's just how I would would handle it. Um, but I don't know. I, it's a weird it's a weird one. I, you can't say anything anymore without upsetting somebody. I, I don't know how you, you get around it. I mean... I just, I really, truly don't know the answer to that, but I do think buying someone a beer is the better way to go. <laughs> yeah. But then you also have somebody from like a, from Americana, Jason Isbell, who talks about his songs talk, and he mentioned this in an interview the other day, you know, some small towns, life is pretty bleak there. Drug use is rampant and alcoholism is, it, you know, there are a lot of problems. That's kind of what, that's what he writes about. I think you were talking about this earlier. There's so many different dimensions and you can, you can come at a song from. Yeah. Certainly seems like there'd been some kind of a discussion because I don't think you just walk in and write that song. I think there must've been some emotion that day because the song feels very emotional. It's not just the lyrics. You can feel it in the melody and in the groove that there's real frustration in it. And that's what they were feeling. And, um, you know, God bless them. But yeah. Is controversy like that ultimately, Bad, good, doesn't matter. I don't think controversy is bad if it starts a conversation. It only gets dangerous when it when people start picking up, you know, guns and stuff like that, and or you know, shooting each other with words. I mean, it's that start a conversation and just try to just keep a lid on it. I don't understand why people can't just talk anymore. I mean, <laughs> I don't agree with everything on the, that I see on the news or every person that I meet, but. You just need to get back to some good old-fashioned, okay, well, what's your point of view? Okay, well, what's your point of view? It's just gotten out of hand. Well, listen, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, let's get back to what the interview is really about, and, and that's your music. And first song I want to talk about is one that's been a personal favorite of mine, and even though it was released all the way back in 2007, it doesn't seem like it because it still gets played a ton on country radio, and that's Tim McGraw's Shotgun Rider. I wrote that, um, gosh, uh, 15 years ago now. I remember the day we wrote it because I had an Opry performance that night. Um, that was with um, Jeffrey Steele and Anthony Smith, two of the best songwriters in town. And uh, it was a title that I had, an idea that I had, and I wanted to write something real old school country. And we just, that was written in a couple of hours. That's one of the fastest songs I've ever written. Um, and Jeffrey still sings it out every now and then. Um, but I, it is a constant song in my set that I sing whenever I do a show. It's one of my favorites. It's my mama's favorite. <laughs> so I, I love singing. Roll, won't you come roll with me? Slow, fast, full speed. Girl, wherever sweet time takes us, hang. Hey. 
special road Only God knows where we'll go Don't matter long as I've got also have uh, I don't think it was ever released as a single but it's it's uh, one of the best album cuts for George Strait it's called where have I been all my life I think it was from his album twang yeah it took us a long time to write that um, Steve Williams and William Nance I, I co-wrote that with two really great songwriters um, yeah that that one we picked up and put down a few times I think we wrote that over the course of a year. We, we started that, and then we wrote another song, wow. came back to it, song came back to it. Yeah, we got we just got stuck somewhere in the middle of it, and I remember having an argument with the two of them about the line where I say uh, something about broccoli. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were like, no one wants to hear about broccoli. I said, I'm telling you, that line stayed. <laughs> I remember over that, and still, to this day, people are like, I love that broccoli line, so I'm glad I stuck my guns on that. Been down the road. Working back Been in what I thought was love A few times But every once in a while I stop and ask Where have I been All my life These days broccoli Don't taste so bad And neither does Swallowing my pride And I'm agreeing more and more with my old man Where have I been all my life Some years are clear And some a little blurry Man, how they fly by Mom and Dad Sure got old in a hurry Where have I been all my life then learning that forgiveness is as much for myself as it is for the other guy. And it was supposed to be cut on the album before, and it wasn't. So we just figured it had gone away, and we found out, like everybody else, the day he cut it, that we'd gotten a George Strait cut. So that was a pretty amazing day. Yeah, I would say so. I remember talking to Shane McAnally on one of these interviews, and I asked him if he, from his solo career, ever recycled any songs for artists. And he said, no, not really. He couldn't think of any. Um, but you actually have a song that was on Circus Girl that was a hit for Danielle Peck. Do I have that right? Yes, she recorded that song. Um, I wrote that with, uh, I think it's just the two of us, uh, Will Rambo. And uh, I just always loved that song. So I just decided to redo it, put it on the on my record. I like shopping, but my purse sure don't. I like wearing high heels, but tomorrow. 
And the person you wrote it with, Will Rambo, is also your husband, and you write quite a bit with him. Oh yeah, we have a this, we have a company together um, called Go Long Entertainment, and we do artist development and writing. And Will Rambo wrote well, uh, Faith Hill's very first single, "Wild One." She's a wild one. Is it more difficult or easier to write with your husband? Depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys meet um, in a writing session? I met him at his number one party for for uh, Wild One. Oh. The first week I down, somebody had told me, and uh, I had moved here from L.A., and someone said, you need to look up this guy. He's on fire right now. And so I snuck into the number one party at ASCAP. And walked up to him and said, hey, I'm Sheree, and I believe we're going to be working together. And we started writing, and he's the one that shopped me my record deal and my publishing deal. And we toured together, and he produced my records. And um, we've and now, like I said, we have this company, and we work together and develop other artists and help them get record deals and publishing deals. And, <laughs> yes, he's my shotgun writer. All right, this, the song I want to take this out on, and thank you so much for, for taking time to talk with me today. Uh, but the song I want to end on, because it's a it's the kind of song you close a show with. And it's um, you've written a couple of songs for Blake Shelton, but this one was written for, for Blake and Trace Atkins. And it, oh. it, it was it as fun to write as it sounds to, to listen to? Oh, it was a blast. Um, we had so much fun. We were laughing so hard. And um, I wrote that with um, Kenny Beard, bless his heart, he passed away about five years ago, and Jeff Bates, another great songwriter. Mm-hmm. And then and Trace, obviously, is on it. And I toured with Trace uh, on for about three months, Trace and um, Tracy Lawrence back in the day. And um, still to this day when um, Trace sees me, he throws me up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> And the song is called "If I Was a Woman," and who yes. who came up with that idea initially? Was that was that Trace or was that you or Jeff? Or? I actually, remember? Yeah, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't remember who did what in a writing appointment, and it's just like a big mess, it's like baking a cake, and um, it just you know, it all mixes together and comes out the way it does. But yeah, that was that was. They obviously had a ball singing it. Him and Blake, they're crazy. When you talk about not being sure who came up with the idea, I would think that might be the optimum situation, you know, because that shows just how much collaboration is really going on. Yeah, yeah. No memory of that. I just remember us laughing and howling and rolling over on the floor. (laughs) Well, that's what we'll send the podcast out with. Thank you so much for for taking time today. I really appreciate it. Sure, Thomas. Hope that. Blake, if I was a woman. 
Tracy, if I was a woman If I was a woman I'd love a man like me I got a spread in Oklahoma Stretch as far as the eye can see Well, I got my own little mountain Back home in Tennessee Oh, hell, listen to this and that will do it for this episode of Write You a Song. Thank you again to our guest, Cherie Austin. And if you're new to Write You a Song, go back through the archives and check out all of the other interviews with some of Nashville's biggest songwriters. A few singers are in there as well. Uh, Write You a Song is produced at KNCI Studios in Sacramento, California. It's a production of Bonneville Communications International. I'm Tom Maley. I really appreciate you listening. And next episode, it's amazing how this guest literally, well, almost literally, fell into my lap. I got an email from a guy named Keith Larson. Big shout out to Keith. He's a longtime listener of Write You a Song. And he said, hey, I know this Nashville songwriter might be a good guest for your show. And then I saw the name and I was like, what? He's written some massively successful country songs, including one of the most successful ever. In fact, all I have to do is play you the first few opening notes and you will recognize the song instantly. Garth Brooks sings it, but Tony Arata wrote it and a whole bunch more. That's next time on Write You a Song.